by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Me and Hal, when we were teenagers, 16, 17, we liked to play tackle football, you know, out in the, we lived across from Havenview Junior High. I lived on, in the front of it, and he lived on the side of it over there. There was a, a field out in the middle, and we'd play tackle football without any pads. Well, it wasn't really tackle for us. It was, we, we both had little brothers that was six years younger than us, and it was tackle on them, and it was just touch on us big guys. <laughs> I can't help it. That was the rules. Okay, I made the rules, but <laughs> I was bigger, so I could make the rules, right? <laughs> And we were all-time quarterbacks, so we got to stay down, sit hut, and sit back and, and let them do all the running. And then once they caught the ball, then we could tackle them, the little kids. Love them rules, don't you? <laughs> That's why I guess it was getting so hard to get my little brother Heath to want to play anymore. And I'd say, come on, Heath, let's go play football. He's like, I'm not doing that again. You know, he's got a black eye and bruises all over him. Come on, man. And I'd have to talk him into it. I'd, act, I'd have to do a, a, I'd have to appeal to that inner athlete within him. I say, just imagine, Heath, I've got the football and I go back and you go long and I throw that ball and he's just watching like he can see it happening. And I said, and it was slow motion, you know, he said, you're running and you stretch out and you catch it with one hand and put that other hand on it, come down, touchdown. <sighs> you know, I do just like that. And that inner athlete and Heath would say, let's go. I talk him into it again, you know. And we'd finally get him out there, and Hal would have to drag Brian by the ear out there, you know. And, and we'd play, me and Heath against Hal and Brian, we played so many times. Uh, and I remember one day in particular that Hal and them had the ball, and they was about to score the winning touchdown. We went to a certain amount of points or something, you know. And uh, Hal said, down, said, hunt, and he dropped back, and I was counting my Mississippis, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, before I could rush, you know. And Hal drops back, and Brian takes off on a... Uh, fly pattern, I guess. He was going long. And Hal threw that ball, and it was supposed to be the winning touchdown, and the ball came to Brian, and Brian never looked back. <laughs> he just kept running all the way home. <laughs> he didn't even stop. <laughs> he, he went long, all right. You see, his friend had come over, and his friend was looking over the fence saying, come on, man, you know, and, uh, the sad part about it is, Heath went with Brian. He left too. Why do I tell this story? I don't know. But if I figure it out, I'll tell you later. So, so far, we've talked about Jesus. Really, everything has been Jesus. Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus when he showed up on earth, right? He was the creator of the earth. We found that out, you know. He's the lover of our souls. He created us. It's in him we live and move and have our being. We saw him in the Old Testament. It's all about him. And then he came to the earth he created. He was born as a suffering servant. He came the first time as a lamb to be slain, right? To redeem those who believe. And then last week we talked about how he's going to come back again. 
But he's not going to set foot on the earth. He's just coming to the clouds. And what we call the rapture of the church. The catching away of his loved ones. His rescue and evacuation plan to those who are ready. And we'll be taken up to meet him in the air. But this week we're going to get all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ and beyond. We're going to finish this up as far as I know. As far as the Bible tells us about what, what comes next. The second coming of Christ, he's not coming as a little lamb. He's not born in a little manger. He's coming on a white horse. And there's fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and there's blood on his thigh. He's coming back as a conquering king. He's coming back as the Messiah that the Jews thought he would come as the first time. And somehow they missed Isaiah 53 or something. But, but he's coming back to rule and to reign, and we're going to get to, to that today. But I know last week was a pretty heavy message. I'm surprised this many came back again. You guys are gluttons for punishment. I stepped on a lot of toes last week, including my own. We talked about getting ready. Look at your neighbor say, get ready. Luke 21, 34 says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a tramp. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. What day is he talking about? The rapture of the church. Certainly don't want to be here for the second coming of Christ. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So there's coming some horrors on the earth. And that's why I preach so hard. Because you need to be ready. And I preach so hard because I don't want you to experience those horrors. I preach so hard because I love you enough to tell you the truth and preach you what the Bible says. And because it's my job. And I love God so much that I have to preach what he tells me to preach. 2 Timothy 4 1 says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his, his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season. And out of season. One translation says be ready whether they want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it. I'm sorry I'm not here for a popularity contest. And look, this ain't talking just to me. This is talking to you. You're ministers of the gospel. You're ambassadors for Christ. You have an obligation to preach this word in season and out of season. Whether they want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it. It says convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. I really feel that God has given us this long series for a reason. He wants us to know the depravity of man, our responsibility to get saved and to live saved and to wrap this thing up before these coming horrors come on the earth. 
We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant in these times. So what transpires for the believer that is taken in the rapture? You know, I believe enough prophecy has been fulfilled that Jesus, like I said, could come back at any moment with the trump and voice of the archangel and the shout, come up hither and we're raptured. What takes place? Well, we already talked about there would be a feast up there, a marriage feast of the Lamb. And you know, a marriage feast in, uh, in Israel is not the same as what we kind of know over here in America. We might have a, what do you call it, a rehearsal dinner or something over here, but they, they party for like a week or so, maybe even more, I don't know. But there's going to be festivities. We already talked about that Jesus is going to put on an apron in service because he's going to be so glad that we're there at the festivities. He can't wait to see us. And we're going to be in heaven for seven years. Praise God. Who needs a seven-year vacation in heaven? <laughs> it's going to be awesome. We're going to be hanging with Jesus. We're going to see him face to face, and we're going to be like him. Because when we go up on the way, our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and this mortal body will put on an immortality. I'm going to have a new everlasting body, and it's going to be a young one. It's going to be full of energy. It's not going to be broke down in this place and that place, and it's not going to be hurting. It's not going to feel so sucked down by gravity. It's going to be awesome. No more disabilities. If you're walking around missing a leg, then how are you walking around? No, but... I mean, if you, if you can't see, the blind will see. No matter what you've had to endure in this physical life, it will be resurrected a new body that God wants to give you, that he wants you to enjoy, that will be everlasting. No more pain. Woo! Somebody say amen. Another thing. We're going to be up there resting, relaxing, enjoying all of heaven with Jesus. And we're going to be reunited with our loved ones who have gone on before us to heaven. It says in the, in the rapture scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Well, the dead in Christ are already, their spirits are already with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But their bodies will be resurrected new. These new immortal bodies from the DNA, I guess, that's in the grave somewhere, will be caught up together. They go before us. Somebody says, I want to be the first one to get raptured. No, you don't. You want to be the second one. The dead in Christ go first. <laughs> but their bodies, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be reunited. It's called the first resurrection. It's the resurrection of your bodies and your spirits. And so then we'll be caught up together with them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So we'll be with the Lord from that point on. Praise God. Aren't you glad? That's settled. If you belong to Christ, that is settled. You'll be with him forever. But there is also a judgment for Christians. And it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Where you will be judged for the things that you did while you were here on the earth. Now, don't worry, it's not a judgment between heaven and hell. Like I just said, that's already been settled. For Christians, the judgment will be 
like 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. See, there's, there's records being taken of how we live down here. And Levin says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others, for God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I am sincere, and I am working hard to tell you that your life here counts. This 80, 100 years that you may get here on the earth determines all the rewards that you will receive in heaven, which will be eternal. You will look back Six billion years from now, and say, if you didn't live the life that you should have, you would say, man, I wish I could go back and have those 80 years again or those 60 years again. I wish I could do it again. Because there's rewards in heaven. This life counts. Don't be one of those who barely get to heaven as you escaped by fire, your shirt, shirt tail's on fire when you go up into heaven. You've been so close to the devil on your Christian walk. Don't be like that. Hear the, the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Be ready at his appearing. Amen? Amen? That's good preaching. Because what happens to those who miss the rapture? Those who aren't saved when he comes back. They stay on the earth for a seven-year period called the tribulation. Seven years that you may or probably may not even live through, much less want to be at. Satan and his demons halfway through are fully released during this time on the earth to torment the people on the earth. It's a time that darkness reigns like you cannot even imagine. You think it's bad now? You haven't seen anything. The world is in such chaos that they're looking for somebody, help, please. And they find a man that they think can meet all their needs. It's kind of like us today. We're thinking a president's going to be the one. Oh, a president's going to be turned. He's going to turn America around. No, he's not. America's problem is not a political one. It's a spiritual one. But they're going to look for a man, and they're going to find one that's got a peace plan. Oh, he seems like a man of peace. He's going to have a plan to, to, to restore Israel and, and the peace in the, in the region. He's going to take care of the issue. He's going to be a man that's got a plan for, your, you know, for your prosperity and all the things that the preachers teach. And he's going to also be called the Antichrist. And you ain't even going to be able to tell it at first. Well, you ain't. I hope, I hope you ain't here. But whoever's here won't even be able to tell that he's the Antichrist. Because he seems like a good guy. The devil always comes disguised as an angel of light, doesn't he? It's not only going to be a terrible time because of the darkness. It's going to be a terrible time because this is when God pours out his judgments upon those who refuse to receive forgiveness. He pours out his judgments on the wicked. He pours it out at, I see it as mercy. 
as a last ditch effort. I'm gonna give you seven more years. Have you ever, you ever, your kids like they fixing to get a whooping? They better get up off me. You know, I'm fixing. You getting your belt ready? I'm gonna give you seven more minutes to settle down. And he pours out his wrath in an effort to let them see the results of their behavior, the results of their choices that they have made in one last merciful effort to say, look, turn to me and be saved while you still can. And many are saved during the tribulation, the Bible tells us. In fact, there's 144,000 Jews that God commissions as missionaries during this time to go throughout the world. Imagine Jewish missionaries preaching Jesus. But they're doing it during the rapture. God also sends two great prophets that are supernatural to kind of lead his people. But those that do get saved during this tribulation time will be persecuted relentlessly by the Antichrist. And he's got a sidekick named the false prophet and the beast, the most unholy trinity. The beast is another word for the ten regions that the world will be broken up into politically. And the, the heads of those ten regions will be rulers of the world who will follow this Antichrist. And they're known as the beast. Revelations 13.7 says it was granted to him, meaning the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Yes, the tribulation, the first three and a half years is known as the tribulation. The second three and a half years is when it really gets bad. The Antichrist goes ahead and reveals himself to who he is. And it's called the Great Tribulation. In the first three and a half years, God opens the seals of his judgment. There's seven seals, the horses black horse and the white horse. And if you've ever read anywhere in Revelations between the chapters of 6 and 16, you'll see the horrors of this judgment upon the earth. It's not so bad that the devil and, and the Antichrist are ruling. you got God pouring out judgment. You don't want to be here. And those who are saved will most assuredly face martyrdom to be saved. The second half... He pours out, God pours out the trumpet judgments, his bowls of wrath. Like I said, you can read about these in Revelation 6 through 16. I just do not have time to go into them, but they are horrible. That is the horrors to come that the Bible speaks of that we read a while ago. You see, there's no church above ground. Any church is going to have to be below ground, out of sight. There's no restraint from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not holding back evil as he is today. You know, it would be much more evil on the earth today if the Holy Spirit were not holding it back. And the Christian church that is here today was not holding back the evil. If man was able to have his way right now, this place wouldn't be worth living on. But there's no restraint of the Holy Spirit, only the total depravity of mankind in full collusion with Satan. You understand that the unbelievers are the ones that's left behind, the ones that are, that are wicked. Man, nobody to hold them back. There's probably no police or anything. 
Anyway, three and a half years in, the Antichrist reveals his true nature. Everybody thought he was the guy, you know, he, he, he did peace, but then they're starting to see things that he's doing and the power that he's gathering to himself, and he's got these ten nations doing what they, he wants them to do, and, and, and he builds the Jews the temple that they've been longing to have. You know, they, want it, they got the materials ready right now to build that temple. Did you know that? The religious Jews over there, have they already have the, the new temple that they're looking for prefabricated. The only reason they can't put it up right now is because there's the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim shrine, is on the Temple Mount right now. And that would cause world war for them to do it. But see, this Antichrist is going to make peace between the two. And he's going to help them build this temple that they think they're building, the temple to their God, the Jews. They're going to be excited about this Antichrist, and they're going to say, yeah, he's for us. He's building a temple for us. Until he steps into the temple and sets up his throne in God's temple and declares himself God, then, then it's too late. They're like, oh, we didn't see that coming. And he's going to demand that anybody who wants to buy or sell goods, if you want to eat supper tonight, you're going to have to take the mark of the beast, which is 666. I know you've heard about that. If you ever have friends or loved ones you know is going to be left behind, tell them don't take the mark of the beast. If you have to starve to death, do not take the mark of the beast. Once you take the mark of the beast, you are sealed forever. Your destination is the lake of fire. It is a seal of Satan. 666, do not take it. Anyway, Jesus said of this last half of the tribulation in Matthew 24, 21, that there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it never will be so great again. This is the worst time in human history. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. Not anybody would survive this thing. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen one because God is... He's merciful, and he's trying to get people saved even during the Great Tribulation. What happens at the end of seven years? Revelation 16 says the Antichrist gathers all the armies of the world in array against the city of Jerusalem and the people of Israel to destroy them. You see, the devil has an unnatural hatred towards Jews because God chose them as to, to be his example on the earth, his the apple of his eye, his people. And if you look around even today in society, in other nations, there is an unreasonable hatred of the Jews, this little bitty sliver of a nation that's so tiny it shouldn't matter to anyone. Why do we all we hear about on the news is Israel. Israel this. They hate the Jews in the United Nations. Every motion that they set forward is against the Jews. It's an unnatural, unreasonable hatred against God's people. And so it's only natural as the Antichrist is ruling. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I ain't, can't even get to about on the tribulation. You know, we're skimming across the top surface here. You can read your stuff for yourself. But they're going to gather together in a valley called Megiddo. And another translation is known as the Valley of Armageddon. And they're going to array themselves against God's people to destroy them. Once and for all, we're getting rid of God's people. And that's going to trigger Jesus' second coming at the end of seven years. 
Let's turn to Revelations 19.11. Does anybody find this interesting? You ain't seen nothing yet. Do you need to know this stuff? You know, there's different interpretations of end-time scriptures. I'm not saying that the way I say it's going to happen is the exact way. You know, I could be a little bit off. But it's a secondary issue. If you don't believe like I believe, then we can still do church together, right? We can still love one another and agree to disagree about end-time prophecy. But I'm just giving it to you as I have studied it, and and I feel that most uh, trusted scholars believe the same way. Revelation 19 11, this is when Jesus comes back because they're trying to kill his people at the end of the tribulation. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And the title, his title, was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him out on white horses. I believe that to be me and you. We've been in heaven for seven years. We're ready for some action. (laughs) From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juices flowing from a wine press. He's not playing. He's not coming as a little lamb this time. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, Shouting to the vultures flying in the sky. Come, gather together for the great banquet Banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings and generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders and of, of all humanity, both free and slave and small and great. He's coming to clean house. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse. And his army. And the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all those who accepted the mark of the beast. And who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The lake of fire that we also call hell. The entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding on the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. It was total victory. If you go on down to chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him in the bottomless pit 
which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the, until the thousand years were finished. But afterwards, he must be released for a little while. So the battle's over. All the bad guys were arrayed against God's people, and, and we came back and we won the battle of Armageddon. I say we loosely, it just... By his word, the sword that came out of his mouth, he destroyed the enemy. That's how, how powerful our God is. He destroyed them all. All the wicked destroyed in this one battle after seven years of tribulation. So what happens next? We go back to heaven. We float around like angels with harps. And we worship all day long. <laughs> I used to think that. I didn't know. I didn't know what happened. So, uh, But that's not what happens. We begin what is known as the millennial reign of Christ. Millennial means 1,000. Did you, did you see where I just said that the devil will be bound for 1,000 years? Well, at the end of Jesus' reign, the devil will be released. But, but Jesus comes physically to the earth. That's why it's called his second coming. And that's why the rapture didn't qualify as his second coming. And that's why when you read scripture, you've got to be careful that you understand the difference between the rapture, he's coming back in the clouds, or he's coming back and touching the earth with his feet. He's coming back physically. He came, he's coming back, and you know the Jews are looking for this conquering Messiah who would rule with an iron rod, right? He was going to take care of the Roman rule, they thought, back in the Bible, you know. And now they're probably thinking he's going to take care of the American rule or whatever. But they're looking for a Messiah to come back and his government be established. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Just as it was prophesied, Jesus is going to, going to rule and reign here on earth for 1,000 years. Did you know about that? I wonder what we're going to be doing. Floating around with a harp? No. We're going to be ruling and reigning with him. You remember all the scriptures that you read where it says, he who is faithful with a little, I'll make you ruler over much. You've been faithful a little, now I'll make you ruler over ten cities. What you do here in this life is going to determine the authority that you have in the millennial reign of Christ. We will have, okay, so there are people that will live through the tribulation, right? Right? There's the saints that are still on the earth that hadn't died yet. Though a vast number of the population has been killed in the battle of Armageddon or through the, the wrath poured out by God, there are people who will survive the tribulation. And now Jesus sets up his rule and reign from Jerusalem, and God's way is done on the earth. And these people that haven't died yet are having babies and repopulating the earth over this thousand-year period. And we get to rule and reign with Christ. We're assigned duties. Now, we're down here, but we have these immortal bodies. We're sort of like angels. We're not angels. We're separate beings than angels. We're children of God, which is even a higher rank than the angels. But we're down here ruling and reigning with Christ on this new earth, and it's going to be a pretty good earth. It's going to be pretty awesome because there's going to be no more injustice. Jesus' way is going to be done on the earth. There's no, they, that's the part where they say that they're going to beat their swords into plowshares because there's going to be no war. There's going to be no more famine, 
no injustice, none of these things taking place because Jesus is in charge for a thousand years. Daniel 7, 27 prophesied, Daniel prophesied that the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him, will rule with him. Revelations 27 says, When these thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. You remember he was locked in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. You're telling me that there's peace, righteousness, joy, the love of God is ruling from Jerusalem. Things are being done God's way. These people have seen the goodness of God. And they have had babies. And they've had babies for thousands of years. The earth is repopulated. You mean that, that everybody's not still not going to love Jesus? You think it's hard for us to convince people to love Jesus in this sinful world? It's not going to be hard in the millennial reign. You're going to see the glory of God himself. But at the end, Satan is going to be released for a short period and going to be able to gather armies that still want to fight against God. And you're still arguing that the, against the depravity of human, human beings? They have Christ as the president, so to speak, himself. Nobody's starving. There's no more pestilence, disease. Everybody's given a good job. Everybody has everything they could want, and they still turn against God. The free will of human beings, it never ceases to astonish. And they're as numberless as the sand along the seashore. And verse 9 says, And I saw them as they went up the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. Here they are again, gathering together, <laughs> just like in the Battle of Armageddon. But God don't play this time. It says, But fire came down from heaven on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, Joined the beast and the false prophet. You remember they were already in the lake of fire. And now he has thrown Satan himself into the lake of fire where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. All of the wicked have now been destroyed. Only the righteous remain. The devil himself is taken from the earth. All his demons, the beast, the false prophet, all are not on the earth. They weren't on the earth during the millennial reign until Jesus let him loose for a minute, right? But now they're gone forever. And the only ones left are the righteous, those who choose Christ. Well, once uh, 
all these unrighteous are destroyed, we come to another judgment throne. This is not the throne, this is not the judgment seat of Christ where you're uh, judged for your rewards. This is the great white throne of judgment. This is where God calls together all those who have died in sin without repentance. He calls together all who have lived since the beginning of time who have rejected God's plan of salvation. And they all become before the judgment throne of God Almighty. And the book of life will be opened and none of them's name will be found in it. And then the books of their works which they wished to be judged by will be opened and they will all be found lacking. And there will be none righteous, no, not one. And then all the wicked dead who have basically made their choice to reject the pardon written in the blood of Jesus and face their own judgment will be judged and cast into the lake of fire with the devil, the false prophet, the beast, and all the wicked, where they will be tormented night and day forever and ever. The wheat and the tares at this point will have been fully separated. What happens next? It's just getting gooder and gooder, ain't it? Well, 2 Peter 3, 7 always confused me. I was like, when's this going to happen? But this is when this happens. After the great white throne of judgment and, and the wicked have all died on the earth and there's only the righteous left and it's us down here ruling and reigning with Christ in our immortal bodies. 2 Peter 3, 7 says, and by the same word, and, and that same word, if you read before that, it's talking about the flood of Noah when God destroyed the world with a flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. And they are being kept for the day of judgment when the ungodly will be destroyed. Well, that's the day. It's the great white throne of judgment when the, the unrighteous are destroyed, the day of judgment. If you skip down to verse 10, it says, then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. I don't know how God uh, takes his people away while he destroys the earth or whatever. But it's obviously not going to destroy us because we are eternal beings. And we have eternal life. But the earth itself... It's groaning for the revealing of the sons of man, the Bible says. It, it's cursed because of man, because of sin, the pollution, all the stuff that we've done to it. It is not the earth that God intended for us to live upon. It will be renewed. Great fire will burn it and cleanse it like silver and the, dro the dross taken out. Everything will be purified and the earth will be recreated. Then what happens? Well, Revelations 21.1 says, then, this is the end of the Bible, right? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth have disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, 
God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. I'm not, not just Jesus in the human form, but God Almighty can now come to the planet he created and be with his people. His desire from the beginning. He couldn't come down here because his glory would incinerate any sin. But now sin and sinners have been judged and there's a new heaven and a new earth and the, and the, the mansions that God has prepared for those who love him in heaven are, are brought down to this new earth. Heaven meets earth and becomes the new heaven and the new earth that God himself can inhabit with his people. And it's a beautiful city. It's the one with the 12 pearl gates. The one with the, the walls of all these beautiful amethysts and all these jewels and, and, and the streets of gold. And it's a new earth. The, the earth God intended for us to live in. No longer under the curse. No longer do you have to work your fields by the sweat of your brow with the weeds coming up. No, the earth is for you and not against you. That's when the lion and the lamb can lay down together. There's no more of this constant pull of negativity. And all the nations. Well, well, wait a minute. Well, I ain't got there yet. I lost my place. Hold on. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. Oh, glory, glory. It's all done. It's all done. The sin debt is paid and it's, it's taken care of. And it's only glory from there on. In Revelation 20. 1 verse 22, it says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. And the Lamb is the light. Didn't he say, I am the light of the world? And the nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Good kings! Godly kings who serve the king of kings will come into the city in all their glory and add their glory to the, the glory of God. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will ever be allowed to enter for no one who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And all these years, you've been praying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the two shall meet. And we have a new heaven and a new earth. And heaven, what is heaven? But where God is. And God himself shall dwell with us. And we shall be his people forever. It's so much better than the thought that you're just going to be floating around on clouds, worshiping all day. Oh, we'll get our share of worship, but we'll have purpose. We'll have jobs that we love to go to. Not because we need the money, but because we like to produce. 
We like, to, we like our, our position in life. We get to fellowship all we want to. It's, it's life as God originally intended before sin cursed it all. You see how God wraps everything up? He doesn't just, okay, the earth is messed up. Let's take us all to heaven. No, let's recreate the earth and let's put it with heaven. And let's let it be the way I wanted it to be from the beginning. Are we near the end times? How close are we to the rapture, you think? I don't know. But I say don't despair. Prepare. Don't despair. Prepare. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your lives. I love what uh, David Jeremiah says. He says, during this time as we wait for the end, for the rapture, walk submissively. Worship triumphantly, witness vigorously, work fervently, and watch expectantly. That's a good advice right there. That's the way we're supposed to be living. What have we learned from this series? I don't know if you've learned anything, but I've been learning the whole time. I wrote that God does have a rescue and evacuation plan for his people. A renewal and a restoration plan. Based on repentance and relationship. All you need to do is repent and develop a relationship and you're good. It is about the relationship. That's what he's been after the whole time. Is you. Your heart. What we've talked about today, giving yourselves away, trusting him with it. Just as Jesus hung on that cross, not feeling the presence of God for the first time in his life, he cried out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? But yet he still said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Even when I can't feel it, I know that you're good. I know that I can trust you. And I give you, give myself away. And that's what God is after is your heart in relationship with him. Paul put it like this in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. He sums it up. I want to know Christ. That is eternal life. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Sharing in his death. So that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Man, I want the whole package. If I have to suffer on this earth through tribulations and persecutions for Christ, so be it. Because I want, I want to I want experience that resurrection. And I want to experience the glory and the crowns that's just going to bring into my life. So that my eternity will hear well done, good, you faithful servant. I want to hear it. I want to live for that. There's nothing on this earth that can, can break my focus. Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to run from him. I don't want to say, oh, here comes Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I know, I don't know, I know. I'm a Jesus. I want to have crowns to throw at his feet. And I want to see all the people in my realm of influence with me. I don't want to miss, be anybody missing. The old Hal threw that football. And Brian didn't look back. And neither did Heath. And I wrote, one day we'll go home and we'll escape all this injustice because we're supposed to be our brother's keepers down here and we ain't doing a very good job. 
We've been talked into playing this world's game. But our souls really desire to go long. To go home. Because there's a friend that's looking over the fence about to come back. He's saying, come up hither. Come up hither. Come up the hill. Just keep going long. Are you ready? I preached my hardest. I'm not an eloquent speaker, but I am a passionate speaker. And I want to see all of us together here and well done. I want us to be serving together when we get there. On the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years and then on the new heaven and the new earth together. I want your life to have so many rewards. You, you let me come over and use your, your pool sometime. You know what I'm saying? I want some of you guys' apartments to be closer to Jesus than mine so I can come over and hang with you. And if, and if you're not right with God, I want you to not despair but to prepare. Now's the time. Now's the time. My senior pastor and your senior pastor, Pastor Vickers, he's been in ministry for over 50 years. He's never seen times like this. And all he's talking about lately is it's time. God put this message on my heart to show you from the start to the beginning, from the beginning to the end, where we are and where we're going. I think it's to prepare you. He's preparing his church this time. Bow your head and close your eyes. If there's anybody in here today that is not prepared for the second coming of Christ, that you would be embarrassed if Jesus came back right now, or you know that he's not coming for you. And it's time to repent. Not to despair, but simply to prepare and repent. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. So if you've never given Jesus your heart, now more than ever, be sober and vigilant and say, I need you, Jesus. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Pray with me like this right now. Say, God, I repent of my sins. There's nothing on this earth that I need more than you. Be the Lord of my life. I believe you died on my cross. Take away my sins. And I believe you were resurrected so that I could be too. Bring me into this new life. Prepare me for your coming. Fill me with your spirit. So that I can not just be a natural person, but a supernatural person that you created me to be. So that I can be ready to rule and reign with you when the time comes. And that I'll hold my own down here on the, on the wall as a watchman over your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.